What happens when you take Facebook arguments between friends who don't agree and have them face to face? I'm Xanthi. And I'm Andrew. And this is We've, We've Got, Got Issues. Issues. Hello, hey, and welcome back to We've Got Issues. I'm Andrew. And I'm Xanthi, and it's a new year. It's a new year. And uh, boy, oh boy, what a week. Uh, <laughs> In my head, I was, I kind of, as I was saying, I subtitled this, you know, hopscotch through the minefield. You pre-titled it. My goodness, because uh, basically uh, Trump is saying things that in order to defend, you're going to have to get close to racism. And, and so, and yet it is my job on this show to take the other side of it things. It is. It's your, so, your self-appointed job. We applaud your bravery. So it'll be, a, it'll be an interesting show. But um, <laughs> There's no shortage of things to discuss. That's the good news. Yeah, it is a lot to discuss. Um, but, uh, oh, so the first thing we wanted to talk about was uh, we wanted to play our game, Not My Tribe, where we take five uh, um, articles from the other side of the political aisle. And I just want to uh, say, too, that I got Xanthi a present, which I finally it's gave so her. It's so excellent. Yes. Should, uh, I tell, should I say what it is? Yeah, we'll put it up on the website, okay. a little picture it's of you. A, it's a beautiful um, silver-like, <laughs> silver, yeah. a, Chrome, silver, really. a silver-like snowflake ornament. And on the back of it, it says, you're precious, love, Breitbart. <laughs> I love it. It might be my favorite present that I got this year. Okay. Uh, well, I <laughs> it's saw... my favorite present that I've gotten in January. I, I saw it, and yes, exactly. Your favorite late, yes. belated Christmas present. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Thank so you. you're welcome. So, uh, so uh, as usual, some of these stories are coming from Breitbart. Breitbart's actually had an interesting month too because of, because of Steve Bannon getting thrown out. Interesting times for um, Breitbart. But this first one is not truly a Breitbart story, though they carried it. So this week uh, there was a um, feminist movement to pull articles from Harper's Magazine to protest a journalist named Katie Royfe, who was a Princeton grad. And, um, and in fact, went to my high school also. I didn't know that. Yes, she did. Yeah, she, she kind of, from afar, could potentially resemble you visually from She has like a, a, lot of, a lot of blonde hair. She's a lot of blonde hair. <laughs> um, and it, I was tiptoeing around that. Yeah, that's, okay. that's just the smallest of our minefields today. So. <laughs> um, but uh, so what, what were uh, they trying to protest? Yeah, I actually followed the story quite closely because I'm a Katie. I'm interested in Katie Royfe uh, partly because I've known who she was since I was, you know, six. Um, but uh, they were protesting the fact that Katie Royfe was going to publish and supposedly going to publish an article naming the woman who created the infamous um, "shitty men in media" spreadsheet, um, which was a document, if you don't know about it, that went around and allowed women to anonymously name men who had done um, sexually inappropriate or even um, committed assault against them. So Katie Royfe was going to publish this article. Uh, people got tipped off that she was maybe going to out this woman who'd created it. Yeah, I, fo I followed this story. Yeah, so you get a point for that. And I was curious where you follow, follow on that. So do you feel that... Okay, well, so the woman outed herself. I don't know if you saw Moira that. Moira someone, yeah. Right, okay. So she turned out to be like a junior editor from The Atlantic, I think. Yeah. Um, and she wrote a, like a pretty thoughtful letter, article, where she basically said, and I agreed with what she said, which was she created it from good motives and it went haywire. 
and she was extremely naive because she did not understand the kind of the way this would go viral and the potent, all the implications. And I actually like I guess where I stand on it is that I completely sympathize with her because <laughs> you're doing a podcast I about gender. One hundred percent empathize with somebody who put something out there because they thought that it would do good for people. Right. And then, you know, cons- things happened that, that were out of her control. Right. I mean, not that that's happened here yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> this might be the one. Um, so do you think that, that then kind of I putting thought, pressure on her to keep her anonymous no, was the appropriate thing I think to do? That I actually thought the one thing I didn't really agree with was a bunch of women stepped forward and said they would pay other writers to pull their articles from Harper. Right. To protest it. And to me, that was like, come on. Like, really? Like, that's what you... It just seemed um, overly aggressive. It seemed unnecessary. Um, and it just seemed weird because writers want their work published, right? They're, you're not writing for magazines to become a millionaire. It's right. not the money you're writing for. It's the exposure. Right. So pulling your article, I don't know. I guess do, a couple people... Do you think that it. there should be a place for anonymous... Outing of men who are because I remember even at Princeton there were these people would talk about the bathroom wall in the student right, center the whisper, where there was the whisper networks. Do you think that those should be allowed to exist, or do you think that that those create more potential for harm? Um, I think anything anonymous has the potential for harm. Right. right. I mean that's one of our issues always with um, online commenting and and you know the, the, it allows the ugliest side of people to flourish and it also you know doesn't enable people to defend themselves. So. Yeah, I'm always going to be worried about that. However, this whole Me Too movement has been about that. And it's been about the public outing without any legal recourse most of the time um, or without jumping through any legal hoops, you know, of women being able to say, this happened to me. And, you know, because they've, they've tried going through courts. They've tried going through police. They've tried going through HR departments. And a lot of times it's not worked. It's a very tricky issue. And I actually have a, a story about it, which I'll tell another time, I think. But uh, <laughs> but that but you get one out of five for, right. for the Katie Reif story. Thank so now you. I'm going to go directly to Breitbart. So this is... This uh, is where it all falls apart. According to Breitbart, so this week um, they exposed, um, and actually it was that, um, uh, that gotcha network. I've now forgotten the name. But it's the, the guys who do the do the sort of the hidden videos. Oh, um, yes. Um, and, uh, Acorn. No. But they Acorn, did. They did the Acorn They did the Acorn one. one. And so, James. James. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but O'Keefe. what. O'Keefe. Exactly. Uh, so this week, um, that group, uh, James O'Keefe, they exposed what companies, engineers, for deliberately lowering, you know, exposure of, of conservative comments and, oh, and writers. Wow. So, um, I don't know this. Is it a is it a media company? It is a media company. That they were accused of like rejiggering their algorithm mm-hmm. to, to It's their biggest story. Um, I guess I'll have to say the New York Times, but no. No, it was Twitter. Oh, so apparently the, the the Twitter engineers will you know, if they, that the conservative uh, tweets mm-hmm. um, they deliberately try to make those less visible. prominent and visible. Um, then the, I mean, of course, the question is always going to be like, how do you decide what's conservative, and is it conservative or is it racist? Like, what's what exactly are they limiting? Is what I'd be curious I think to that's, know in that story. That's a very fair point. But I like that Breitbart, you know, feeds into that like victimization for right. us. Oh my God, white so, men can't catch a break. So, so out of that story, there was there was some a very funny uh, piece. Well, this actually came from the Google story you know about the the guy who's suing google because it do you know about this the guy is suing google because they're discriminating against white men 
Oh, it's the guy who wrote that yes. letter and then got and fired. And so he's created this he's created this lawsuit. And I think the lawsuit is largely to kind of through the discovery process, like embarrass people at Google by putting all of their mm-hmm. information out there. But um, but this was, I thought, funny and was just uh, grist for the Breitbart mill. Um, mm. According to Arthur, who was the alias, uh, who was a Google employee, Google keeps what in men's bathrooms? Hmm. Is this a knock? It's something bad about Google? Ugh, oh, all right. It's, uh, it's the kind of thing that Breitbart would love. What, what, what is it that Google provides to men in their bathrooms that I mean, you would not normally is, think my, would be yeah, in a men's so bathroom? Of course, I'm thinking of all the things that should be in men's bathrooms. Right. Like signs saying, don't rape ladies. No, oh, okay. Um, but let me see. What else would Google keep in there? It's a physical thing. Yes. Like baskets full of this thing? Yes, exactly. Um, okay, well, it's not condoms, um, and it's not birth control pills. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. Uh, tampons and sanitary oh pads. Oh, my God. It was so close. Yes. I was, like, headed in the right yeah. direction. So Wait, apparent- that's ridiculous. What? Well, because according to Arthur, some men menstruate, which is what? right. Because, oh, my God. Right. So it's for the trans. So they're attacking the trans shit, but apparently, <laughs> right? I mean, all I can say is I wish that, you see, you don't know this because you're a guy, but women's bathrooms often have tampon and pad machines in them, but they like, they never work. I mean, I know, <laughs> and I remember in elementary school, one of my classmates getting her arm <laughs> stuck, in, <laughs> stuck in it. Uh, so like really, you know, baskets are a great idea. There That's you go. my takeaway from the story. <laughs> um, so, so here's a quote and you just have to tell me who said this quote. Uh, I want to believe the path he threw out for consideration that there's no way he gets elected and I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy, and that's the key word, in the likely event you die before you're 40. So this was a a text to someone's lover um, that is, uh, but with the the key words were that this is an insurance policy. What was the insurance policy talking about? Um, And for bonus, who, who said this? Oh, can you just read it one more time? Okay. I want to believe that the path you threw out for consideration, that there's no way he gets elected. In other words, Trump. Um, there's no way that Trump gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. So this isn't, this isn't so this revisiting is the, Peter, evidence that, the Peter Strazek guy? That's exactly what this is. Okay. So this is the Peter Strazek text where he said so basically... the FBI agent who got fired from the Mueller investigation. Exactly. And he basically, this is being interpreted as saying that the whole dossier, Trump dossier thing was... Was used to create a case at the FBI mm-hmm. because he was concerned that Trump was to become president, right. and we couldn't take that risk. So right. this is, this is the, and it's a little bit of a of a, um, what do you call it? Uh, red herring. I don't know if it's a red herring. I think it's more of a uh, when you have something that, what's the? It's the other detective metaphor. Whether <laughs> shooting gun, what is it when you have a um, the thing that's going to determine the the case? It's the um, oh, well, we're definitely going to have to edit this right. part. <laughs> Gosh, what is it called? Um, but but the anyway, <laughs> wait, what is it? The hot, the hot smoking gun. Smoking gun. Thank you. Gosh. Hot gun? What is it? Okay. It's a glue gun. <laughs> so, yes, it's it's considered the smoking gun. So, anyway, I won't give you a point for that, and I won't give me a point. Wait, for... I thought I guessed it was Peter Strong. Oh, you did guess it. Yes. You did get a point. Oh, my God. This, this is, is terrible. so rare for me. Yeah. You've got to give me the so, point. So, let's see. You've got, you did pretty well here. You've got, um, you've got two 
out of four, and so this one will determine this is for all the marbles. All the marbles. So this is a uh, a woman who said this, and I was just seeing if you can guess who okay. who said this. Uh, some of us want to be shamed. When I was in law school, I was gaining weight. I said to my stepfather, "If you see me going into that kitchen one more time, you say, where are you going, fat ass?'" Oh my god! And it works. And Coulter. I'm gonna give you another guess. One more. Am I on the right track? You are very much on the right track. Um, what other highly objectionable female conservative commentator can I think of? Well, it's not Megyn Kelly. It is Megyn no! Kelly. That's all I'm going to give you that point. So you have three out of five. When did she say this? She, I guess, recent, recently? recently said this. Yeah, that, that basically said fat shaming works and it's, uh, it's a good thing. Oh, my God. Um, I wonder if she has daughters. That I'm going to have to wonder about. Don't that's know. like that's an interesting parenting technique. Yeah, that's the one she's employing. Maybe, but it, she's saying it worked for her, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. okay. Oh my god, I can't believe I kind of got it. You did. You no, I think you nailed. You didn't it. give it to me. You nailed it. Yay! Um, so good job. Three for five Yay! in not my tribe. Best and, ever. And uh, and so let's move on to the story I'm dreading. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of dreading it too, to be completely honest with you. Um, it's the shithole story. The shithole story. All right, which broke last night. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time you guys are listening to it, you're going to be sick of it, even though it's only been probably, you know, 24 plus hours. Um, it will have been since it first began. Um, well, why don't you, do you so, want me to start? So, I mean, let, me, let me take a shot at this. Because, okay. so first of all, um, part of this was like, I think Trump had a really good week, was kind of how I, when we were talking about the show, and you're like, what? And it was sort of before the ramifications of the shithole story kind of had fully it was last, dawned we on me. We were talking about this last night, and um, uh, the story had broken, but not the but, responses. But here were, here were the things that I thought that Trump had a good week on. One, his North Korea policy of essentially humiliating uh, Kim Jong-un every time Kim Jong-un would say anything, he would come back with like this really humiliating thing, I think actually is showing signs of working. Um, <laughs> In the, in the sense that it's... <laughs> they've started a dialogue, North and South Korea. Right. The, the problem with that, of course, is that America is going to be totally left out of that dialogue. And what's actually going to happen is that North Korea is going to prevail on South Korea to remove American military bases from South Korea. So, okay. And would that be such a bad result to for me, us? To me, no. To me, no. Actually. That would be pretty good, right? Yeah. Then we could then we wouldn't, wouldn't have to have, have all of our men <laughs> in harm's way. And yeah. So, um... So that'll be it'll be interesting to it's see how that, that like, goes. It's just like paradoxical Trump way of doing things, right? Which is to, to throw a grenade, right, and then claim that the the crater that happened was exactly you know had the effect that you intended it to happen. Which is like there's so or the shrapnel, right? That's what it is. He throws a grenade, yeah. It creates a big hole in the ground, right? Some shrapnel from it flies off in every direction, right? You ignore all the collateral damage, right. but you find the one piece of shrapnel that did something good right. for somebody. Exactly, and it hits the wall, and you're like, it's art. Look exactly. at it. Right? And exactly. you're like, I did that, <laughs> yeah. and I really should get a it's, lot of credit for it. Yeah. No, I think, um, so I my kind of view on that is that I actually think that, you know, he obviously, everyone thinks, oh, he has a thin skin, but I think that he, what he's been doing here has been really deliberate, and I think that General <laughs> Kelly is actually telling him to keep doing it which is which is to say every time this guy says something just shut him down and and I, I do think that there are generals I don't necessarily think that they tell him what to say but I think there are there are people saying that this policy seems to be working keep doing it yeah. because you know look everybody attacks right Trump that. everybody attacks Trump but he doesn't go after everyone he's right. thin-skinned right. Okay, but so, he's picking so his you're willing to give him a win on that let's I'm move, willing to give him a win let's move back to him, the and then the other issue. thing I thought that Trump 
was looking like a win this week was I thought him doing that kind of apprentice style meeting on where on immigration where he got everyone he got you know Lindsey Graham uh, and Grassley into a room um, and who was the other Durbin, uh, Dur- Durbin into well, a room he got everyone in a room actually. right so this is the first meeting the first meeting where he was, got got them got them around a table first of all he wound up looking like oh, this is The Apprentice, right? And so everybody, all the viewers said like, oh, this is kind of what we thought he would do. Yeah. And so he wound up looking like that guy he that America like, knew. His goal was, I mean, I think the reason he had the meeting that way, right, was because of all of this stuff about the Michael Wolff book and Fire and Fury, yeah. which is like almost weirdly like water under the bridge at this point <laughs> right. since our last Yeah, the only recording. person who was hurt by that was Bannon, yes. interestingly. Yes. Um, but, you know, what Trump wanted to do after that book came out and all the feedback was, you know, everyone around him thinks he's incompetent. Right. He wanted to have this public meeting so he could prove that he could sit there and look presidential and put, like, five coherent sentences together and look like he was, like, right. getting stuff done. Yeah, and I think he succeeded at that. I actually, well, he did, it looked, unless you actually listened to what went on well, in that meeting. Well, I listened to it, and it, and it, and it was what they were able to do. What he was able to do is to get these two guys from across the aisle to agree at least on tape that it you know <laughs> that they had found common ground yeah, and then well, by course, thursday well, it all okay, it all but, blew but up even before it blew up if if you actually like follow the content of that meeting at one point they said to him so you'd support a clean daca bill and he said yes and then the republicans had to jump in and be like no 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 right. actually no right because he didn't know what a clean daca bill was that's right okay, and then so and by fact, thursday paid any all the gop you know apparently yeah. they came back to kind of do more and then the, basically the entire gop kind of showed up yes. and said what are you, what is going on we yes. have to be there and i think you know i think they were i was listening to something this morning that was sort of implying that stephen miller might have invited all of that. Interesting. Because nobody, they like weren't, you know, here comes Graham and Durbin thinking, literally they thought they were going to have a meeting just with Trump. Right. And then it turned out like all these, another door opened and all these Republicans, hardline anti-immigration Republicans filed in and they were like, who invited these guys? Right. So, so my takeaway from all of this was that if the more Trump can do what he did on Tuesday, the more effective he's going to be and that, and he actually came off looking very, you know, presidential and... <laughs> relatively. At, at, re- relatively. But he, but he looked Rel- like he was in charge and he looked like he was leading the meeting and he and he, and it really looked like that apprentice-style thing that he did right. that got him elected. So, but, but I would like to point out also that the DACA thing is another one of these grenade scenarios, which is that he keeps talking about the DACA mess. Right. There was no mess Right, Until no, he, he took, created the mess. Right, he took he, it. He, he basically he took away something that that everyone thought they had and made it into a bargaining chip. He repealed it. Repealed it, right? And then said, "Now go and make it legal." Right. So again, it's that like crazy weird technique of doing two opposite things at the same right. time, right. which could be a win. You know, he could be pleasing his hardline base and ultimately please people who want immigration reform. But that's the, that's a that's well, a tricky line. What to I walk. think he wants is a wall, right? And so right. in order to get his that. wall, he's taken away this thing that um, a lot of people support. That a lot of people support and that he probably doesn't have any problem with and he was going to use it as a bargaining chip to get a wall and at the then I think he floated the idea of total immigration reform. Yes. And then Democrats said, "What?" And then We'd love to do that. We'd love to think and then I think um, 
and then of course the hardliner from the GOP g right. got in there, right. and uh, so, so it's, it's you know it's confusing. The, one of the one of the interesting things about this presidency, as much as I abhor a lot of what's gone on, is that I've never wanted more to be a fly on the wall in these meetings and in these sessions because. Um, you know, and luckily there are a lot of people who are willing to talk to reporters now about what happened. Like, no one's even talked about who leaked the fact that he said shithole. I, I think it was Durbin. Repeatedly. But no, but no one's... Now Durbin is saying, yes, yes, he said it, he said it. But there's literally been no... He came out of the meeting and it was like instantaneous in the press. Yeah. Right? Immediately, the president said this. In yeah. a private I, I think it was, pre it was pretty pretty clear that the Democrats didn't get the deal that they wanted uh, or that they thought they were going no to get. No and so they walked out saying, it. okay, well, now we're going to kind of pin it on Trump's racism. And so let's talk about the, the shithole <sighs> comment, which, well, by the way, you know, Apple has this uh, little filter. So now we're, we're in the uh, explicit <laughs> lyrics Thanks. category. Thanks, Donald Trump. But so is the rest of the world. So is everybody. Yeah. The New York Except Times for NPR. NPR refused to say it. But um, uh, someone's got to have standards. But it's not us. Not us. So okay, so can I talk so, for one second about yes. this thing? So I started out last night when I first got the you know alert from the New York Times saying using vulgar language, Trump disparages immigrants from Haiti and Africa, an entire continent, by the way. Um, and I was just, it Africa? African countries. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. And he said shithole countries, so he didn't actually specify, but it seems the I thought he was saying El, that it was El Salvador, and then it was another one, and then it was uh, Haiti. I heard African countries was what yeah. the New York Times was reporting it. In any case, I started out responding the same way that I respond to a lot of this stuff, which is shaking my head, right. kind of laughing, and just being like, right. what? It's yeah. not news, right? right? I am not surprised by the news that Donald Trump is a bigoted, racist, yeah. dotty old racist, yeah. as Positive America likes to call him. Not news to me. So uh, this morning, as I was thinking about coming here and as I was reading people's responses, you know, in the media and on Facebook, I actually grew pretty despondent mm -hmm. because I really started to think not that it's news that he's a racist, not that it's news that the Republican Party is doing nothing to stop him um, or, or to disown him. Okay, none of that is news. That's been happening for a while. What is really upsetting to me is that there are racist Americans who are cheering right now and saying, finally, thank God, we have a president who says what we believe. Um, and he's validating that, what to me is disgusting tribalism and xenophobia um, again. And that he, however much he tries to walk this back, it's very obvious to... Uh, you know, I don't know what the percentage is to a certain percentage of people in this country um, that their president agrees with them and it validates racism and xenophobia and hateful thinking. Um, and what makes me sad is when I think, you know, if I were a black person or a brown person, um, how would I be feeling right now? And it's pretty, it's pretty dire. It makes me really, really sad. So um, I, I don't think that I have a, a you know, a, a solid footing to argue against that. I think that that's really true. I, I actually think he, um, he definitely not only comes from a age that was a racist time, but he's also on the racist side of that, of that age. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that he uh, does um, 
you know, you know, say things that are shocking uh, to most people because he is, in fact, sort of willing to say what he more or less thinks. About, I think he's incapable of not saying it. Yeah, he doesn't have a, a filter. Um, and, you know, he claims that that's him not being politically correct, but I think that's, that's actually who he is. Yes. That said, let's talk about the other side of this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, in my opinion, so let, let's leave aside that, that what he said was racist mm-hmm. and that it's emblematic of... Well, let's leave it aside. We'll acknowledge that. We'll acknowledge it and agree, and agree on it, right? Yeah. That basically yeah. that this is racism and it's bad because it... It enables racism and it empowers racism, yes. okay. and we're on, we're I think page, I right? think that's all true. So then the other then the question in my mind mm-hmm. is, um, with all of that being the case, um, is what he is saying about immigration is there a point to that? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, well, first of all, like if you're going to have an immigration policy, do we think that we should just have an open immigration policy and that everybody should be able to come in who wants to? Okay, yes. On one extreme end, that would right. be... Right. And, um, and assuming that we don't think that, right, yeah. then we have to... Now we're in the world where we have to make decisions. Sure. And we have to choose who we want. Yes. And, um, and I think that there's a reason... I, th- I think, by the way, that throughout America's history, there there have been a lot of people who've just never wanted immigrants, no matter what, because sure. they're always some other group. Yeah, that, ironically, they're always the people who immigrated in the previous wave. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's it's the zero sum game view of yes. the world that, like, hey, more more malice to feed takes yeah. away from my pot, right? And and then there are other folks who say, well, immigration's good, but we want to get the right people. Yes. Um, and and so then I think the question is. Um, you know, is what he is saying about places like El Salvador and places like Haiti. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, is there a kernel of truth? Not even a kernel of truth. Like, is you know, do we uh, do we want to have more people from places that <laughs> are that are um, okay, so where there isn't education systems where they're basically going to come. Sure come with nothing where and 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 they, one of the things that I wonder about too is whether uh, people of color and, and you were talking about what people of color will react to this and I think on the one hand they'll say like oh yeah Trump's a racist mm-hmm. but on the other hand if you were a cab driver yes. in the United States and you heard Trump saying yeah I'm not gonna let any more people in from Haiti you might say great because those people are the people who come in and they drive uber and they take away my jobs all right so, so I I think it's really useful for us to engage with the question on this level because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's important. And you're right. Uh, and I think, first off, we have to say that immigration is like healthcare, which is that it's unbelievably complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> there's one funny thing I've been thinking about, which is, you know, Trump, part of what he said was that he thinks we should have more immigrants from places like Norway. Right. So, of course, like, you know, you do a little research and you discover that, in fact, I think. Something like 52 people moved here from Norway yeah. last year. I was actually trying. And the trying... reason is because Norway has a higher per capita GDP. It has a higher life expectancy. It has a higher happiness rating, if you're into those kind of squishy things. And it has universal health care, uh, child care. <laughs> like, why would anyone from Norway ever want to move here? It makes zero sense, right? The only people who want to emigrate are people who are doing badly in their home countries yeah. and think they can do better here. Well, not necessarily. I mean, or or where they're given an opportunity to 
make a lot right not not because their home country is bad but you know because they want to go work for Harvard Correct. Right. right you think you think you have better opportunity whatever that means right? yeah that's why you that's why right. you emigrate so that's one thing that has been making me laugh a little it, bit it, in it, this time of can I just say have a sort of I hope this is a, a funny aside but I was trying to think about like well what is the most shithole white place in the world because <laughs> I was like and I was thinking maybe it's Greece and then I was like no! it's probably it's probably in our own country like like West Virginia is probably like well that's what they say right if you look at like certain certain statistics from certain states in this country like we're much worse off than countries in the yeah. developing world much worse right so I mean I was thinking maybe it's in the Balkans or one the of the the Baltics yes and I think that might it be might be it. but it might like be a former Eastern it might European, be one like of our Uzbekistan. states Uzbekistan yeah right um, I'm afraid that might be true. Sorry, yes. Uzbeks. Yeah, but anyway, it, it was just he <laughs> should have said funny. he should have said that you know maybe instead of Norway. Yeah, except he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh but anyway. Um, so I also found out that he's lied. His family lied about their own heritage for a really long time. That they lied and said that they had Scandinavian heritage. And they're German, right? Yes, um, mm. but then they were like they kind of liked the way it sounded to say they were Scandinavian, so they like stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. In the in the grand spectrum of Trump lies, it's so small. That is like a drop in the ocean. <laughs> but interesting, he had yeah. this weird predilection for Scandinavian women, probably. Oh, uh, well, well, no, but he likes Eastern European women. He likes, yeah. yeah. We, let's not even. Yeah. I can't. So, um, so wait. So where were we? Oh, so we, okay. So Norwegians never yes. want to come here. Um, but no, the immigration thing. So I did. I'm I'm stealing this slightly from somewhere else that I heard this, but. They were saying that the, um, on the New York Times, in fact, that Trump is shifting the conversation. In, the, in, in America, the conversation has always been on immigration. Who needs us? Right. right? And what can immigration do for us right. as a country? He's shifted it. He and people like Stephen Miller have shifted it from who needs us to who do we need? Yes. What will be better for us? It's right. the inverse of the Kennedy thing. Like, ask not what our, your country can do for you. Yeah. He's saying, yeah, let's, let's, find some a, let's ask, do something for let's us. ask what our country, these what people can do for us. can do for us. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That's very good. And then he's also shifted it from who to what, what can immigration do for us to what is immigration doing to us? Yes. Right. So it's this, this bifurcated thing where like suddenly immigration becomes a something to be afraid of. Yes. It's ruining our country. It's, which there's always been an element of that, as you pointed out. Right. Um, but also like if we have to have immigration, you know, let's let's figure out what makes America better um, and more competitive. But it's thoroughly missing the entire point of American history, right? From my point of view, which is we had, we had waves of miserably poor, uneducated people streaming into this country um, for centuries. And it turned out pretty well. Yes. For the most part. Well, I think that's that gets to the real question, which is to say, you know, if you get and and I think there's this question, if you like if you're a liberal and you believe in a safety net and you believe in kind of the way California is kind of becoming almost Scandinavian in its in its um, <laughs> in its view. Um, but if you believe in that the government should provide education for everyone, believe that they should provide health care for everyone, right. then the question, you know, becomes hey, if that's true, you have to start closing the doors at some level. If people are going to be able to, if people are going to come in and use those resources and not be able to create value or enough value to, to overcome that. Um, and so I think that's the argument. And it's, yes. it's not an argument that doesn't make sense at some level. That I, but it, what, what's interesting is that um, conservatives, 
neither you would think actually that you would have a position where you would pick one from one side and one of the others, which is to say like you would think that conservatives would be like, well, we don't think there should be a safety net, but we think that the door should be open. Yeah. And liberals would say, well, we do think there should be a safety net, but you know what? We understand that that has some costs and then we have yeah. to close the doors. But it's actually conservatives it's, think no not safety only net, no, no safety, immigrants, no immigrants. I mean, and, um, exactly. It so makes no sense. It is, it is sort of confusing because um, you would think that those would be paired Correct. Differently. Well, also, I mean, like all, and this is what I mean about it being like healthcare, which is you, you can slice and dice it, and in a way you have to slice and dice it pretty finely to get to the truths of the matter. And right. even then, it's not always clear. But, you know, you read studies saying that, you know, immigrants from African countries actually have much higher rate of whatever it is, college degrees, right, yeah. of four-year college degrees than the equivalent white Americans. Right. Or, you know, so... To make the problem becomes clearly when you make these decisions based on gut feelings about race, for example, right? So, or even national, even nationalism, even or nationality, nationality, yeah. yes. So that's that's you know, and when you have a president who very obviously doesn't read anything, doesn't pay any attention <laughs> to statistics, operates as he himself says, totally on a gut level, when his gut instincts are so base and so biased, I mean, that's the problem with racism, right? Is that it doesn't, it, 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 it punishes people based on something that is right. Well, it gets unreal. back, yes. I mean, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I, but at the same time, I think, you know, he, if you think of a guy like Trump, he hears about a place like El Salvador, where we had 200,000 El Salvador people, and then all of a sudden there's this M13 gang, which is like made up of exclusively of El Salvadorians. Right. And you're like, well, what happened there? Why did we? And so at a, I think at a very sort of surface level. At a surface level. But you if, know, even if you dig into that story, yeah. which I did a little bit this week, um, the reason that that, that El, El Salvadorian or gang Honduran exists. gang exists is because all of those immigrants came to LA uh -huh. where there was terrible gang problems, right, in the 80s. And in order to protect themselves, they started forming gangs. Mm -hmm. Those people were then deported and sent back to their home countries where the gangs flourished. They took what they had learned from uh -huh. American gangs in South Central LA, they exported it back to their own countries when they were deported, it flourished in their home countries and now has come back here, right? So. The truth is always much more complicated. You can't you can't run a country based on your gut feelings. It's just yeah. not possible. No, I, I I completely agree with that. I mean, I think the the right test for an immigrant should be presumably, presumably if you want to have some kind of merit based system, then it, it, you have to have some right, sort of then merit based. Then you have to look at statistics. It's not just about what you're bringing in. It's yeah. about historically what have people like you accomplished in this country. And I don't know, living in New York City, you don't have to look around very hard to understand that people who are immigrants in this city. Are working. Their they work really hard. Butts off. Yeah. Those are the people working at the halal food stand down on the corner right. who get there at five o'clock in the morning to make food for all the people working in those, you know, I, high rises in Midtown. I don't disagree with any of that. I know. I, so. Well, can I pivot slightly? Go ahead. Um, we're talking about gut feelings, and you know, Americans definitely have always had this like love for, you know. Uh, operating on emotions and like yeah. what is it that grabs you and I just wanted to use that to pivot for a moment to the other big story of the week okay which I don't want to igno ignore or neglect which was um, hashtag Oprah 2020 oh, gosh yes <laughs> partly because I, I I'm guessing we're probably on the same page with this but I actually don't know because you didn't um, I didn't hear what your thoughts were on the post Oprah 
presidential speculation. You know, I have not. Maybe I'm the only American in in, in America who had, hasn't had like that much exposure to Oprah, but I haven't had that much exposure to Oprah. Like I haven't really watched her show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand she has a cult-like following and devotion, yes. um, and I understand that it would certainly motivate a segment of probably women um, to to go out and vote. And that I think she also and I and I can't take anything away from Oprah's ability to communicate at a sort of with people at an exceptional level. On a gut level. On a gut level, yeah. So (laughs) it's funny, I was actually thinking the other day about, um, this is where I was thinking about sort of Dungeons and Dragons and like how we used to have to character, like how you had these characters where they... you say we. Yeah, I was just thinking... I'm not included Yeah, I knew that you wouldn't have no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) But um, because I was thinking about about, um, Trump calling himself a stable genius. And I was like, well... He, and and obviously he's not a genius, but but he or has like a, but he but in the, in the, that game in Dungeons and Dragons you used to have like an eighteen score would be like you were a genius like you were brilliant that okay. was the highest you could get yes. and so there were these six six statistics of like intelligence <laughs> and wisdom and dexterity and sorry I'm getting really geeky. no no I'm actually totally I'm going so and I was like thinking that his intelligence is probably like a fifteen or sixteen and out his, of eighteen out of eighteen and his wisdom is about a six. So in other words, he's a guy who has no ability to understand the impact. He's bright, but he doesn't have any impact. He has no ability to kind of understand his impact on other people, and he has very little wisdom. But his charisma, Trump's charisma, is like a yes. 19. Yes. And if like if he's a genius at something, it's at just being able to say things that people want to listen to. Yes, and that's what he and Oprah have in common, obviously. And, exactly. So Oprah, in my opinion, also is a charisma 19, like yes. a, which out of scale of 18, like somebody who is just able to get attention, whatever she says, yes. you want to pay attention. Super charismatic. And idea. yet, I bet she's probably more like a wisdom 14, 15 person. Um, so I think she's sort of much more suited for the presidency mm. than than Trump is. But that said, <laughs> you know, um, the, the difference between Trump and, and, and Oprah probably is that Trump knows doesn't know what he doesn't know and yes. doesn't care. Yes. So he's just willing to kind of go and be like, look, I don't, you know, I'm winging it and I'm really, really good at everything. Yes. And and he just doesn't care that he's incompetent. I think Oprah... You get the sense? I get the sense would. that Oprah would say, you know what? Like, this isn't really my strength and I would hate to screw this up. Yes. And it doesn't seem like a lot of fun. And why would I do this? Yes. And um, and I think that's sort of the sane approach to this. And um, and so that's what I kind of think is that that if Oprah ran, she might do it, but not really want to do it. And um, and so if she didn't really want to do it, would that make she probably wouldn't be a great president? Right, right. And so. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I feel that's like my I view. had like I had like whiplash with the whole. Anyway, thing. I'm glad I worked at the Dungeons and Dragons angle yeah, in there. Yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Although I think a lot of people would disagree with you that he's bright. I'm I think he's bright. Like, I think he. I think uh, he. We've pick, had this argument. Before. I think he he picks up information well, and he reads people really well, and he synthesizes situations really well. But he has, but he has like a six. When he when he talk about the fact that he has no wisdom at all, he has no insight. ability to it's say insight that he yeah lacks. or intuition or. No, he has good intuition. Right, sorry. He has intuition, and I actually think, yeah, he can, he could learn fast. He's a savvy, he can be a savvy manipulator. But even then, there's a counter argument to that, which again is related to this Michael Wolff book, The Fire and the Fury. And, you know, the book came out, um, and honestly, the White House totally, totally screwed up their response to it. 
Um, they sent a cease and desist letter saying right. don't publish right. it. They, um, you know, did he tweet it? He tweeted about it and said, I'm a stable genius. That was in response to that. Right. It was like, so there's this idea that Trump is kind of this like master communicator when it comes to communicating and manipulating the truth about himself. But I have to say, I don't know that that's true because he, or maybe it was once true. He has mucked this one up yeah. big time. No, I think he's an idiot savant in some ways. Like he's, you know, like he's, he's, he's definitely an idiot but at the same time there's something about him that well, we you obviously cannot... can't dismiss him entirely right because here he's president he's president and and by the way he was very successful in and he wasn't necessarily successful in his business but he came out ahead yes in his businesses yes. so yes. so back to the oprah thing quickly like i think to me and the reason that the, the the idea of americans operating on like a level of sort of like gut appeal and instinct right. is to me that's like oprah appeals to that exact same sense so the minute people started saying she should run for president i understood it right but my hackles went up because I thought, oh my gosh, like you are just falling for the same flim flam, right. you know, circus trick. Right. It just happens to be a circus trick that you like, yeah. right? And not one that you that you don't, you know, that, that you have antipathy towards. Um, well, you know, when I think about that same Dungeons and Dragons thing, I think you want somebody <laughs> with like a really high wisdom and like pretty high intelligence, but you don't have to be a genius, you know? Um, nope. And, uh, but then the charisma thing, you need to have it at a certain level, but Wait, so here I have a question about Dungeons and Dragons because I never played it. Is there also like an integrity score or a yes? But that's done in a different, whole different thing okay. where you're like you're lawful good or you're chaotic because neutral. Because to me, that's or what's been missing. Right? right, we need an integrity score. Right, that's an, that's a whole other question. I hope I hope that uh, the the guys I don't even know if there are guys who listen to this, but they can <laughs> geek out with me on this, thinking about. Uh, Drawing up Donald Trump as a character, but I, I, it's sometimes useful to think about like what, what, <laughs> I don't know, rating these people this way. Oh yeah. But um, so what else do we have? We talked about Oprah. Well, I guess the last thing was, um, and also connected to the Golden Globes. Wait, I started to ask you, did you even you didn't watch the Golden Globes? Probably, did you? No, I don't watch the Golden. You Globes. You didn't watch any of it? No. So you didn't see Oprah's speech? No. Oh, did I you mean, watch I- it afterwards? No. Oh. I, wa- I mean, I, I read about it, and I heard what she oh. said, actually- and I heard it was very pro-women, and it was very moving, and obviously everybody thought, oh, great, Oprah 2020. Well, not everybody thought it. I mean, it's funny. While I was, I, I actually sadly kind of enjoy these awards shows, um, and the weird part was, as I was watching Golden Globes, I was simultaneously having a really vicious argument online with one of my most vociferous opponents oh, yes. on Facebook. Um, Again. Right. Where he was arguing that sexual harassment is not a gender issue. And I was really irritated by that. And Uh we were fighting back and forth and back and forth. And I was getting more angry. And he was getting more angry. And then Oprah came on. And then in the context of this argument I was having with him, I watched the Oprah speech. Right. And the clouds parted and And the lights shone down. It actually was the opposite effect, which is that I kind of saw it from his point of view for a moment. And Oprah's speech was not anti-male, but it was definitely not pro-male, right? And I suddenly saw it a little bit from my um, opponent's perspective, which was, wow, like it would be really uncomfortable to be a man in that room right. while that speech was being given. Right. And I think it was an uncomfortable situation for the men in that room all night long. Yeah. And I felt, God, I'm a little afraid to say this, a, a little bit sympathetic. Empathetic? Sympathetic more than empathetic. Because you know how it feels? Um, I just thought, I, under, I imagined how uncomfortable it must be for them. 
um, because they are being held accountable for the behavior of their entire sex. Right. Um, and I don't feel totally sympathetic to the point where I want to let them off the hook because I think women have been held accountable um, for a long time for, for behaviors, but men haven't. So maybe the accounting is, you know, overdue. Um, but it was weird. It was a weird moment for me. That's all I have to say. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the risk with Me Too. And, and I guess you were thinking about Catherine Deneuve and all these other things. But, you know, the risk of this is that you wind up... Uh, Alienating. Al- well, that's certainly true, right? Like, so if you... And I guess Oprah did... I remember that she did say something about, like, and certain men. Like, she yeah. sort and of did some, a... And some she really did, great She kind of nodded... Yes. In that direction. And I actually felt a little relieved. I have yeah. And I think a lot of people said that, like, oh, like, at least she didn't. But, you know, at the same time, I think there is a, it's it's probably pretty easy to read that as a call to arms, right? Yes. And, it was definitely um, a call to arms. And, uh, and it was wonderful on the one hand, and I totally wanted to be 100% with it, but it, I felt the undercurrent of danger. Well, yeah. And I, I, remember, I was reading something about Katie Royfe where... Um, somebody called her a gender traitor. And I was like, traitor, that's an interesting word because that's a word that's only really relevant in times of war, Yeah. right? And it says, we're at, at, genders are at war. If you, if you can be a traitor, yeah. that means there's a war. Well, so that takes me actually to maybe the last point I want to make, mm-hmm. which is I think a lot, partly because of this podcast, mm-hmm. partly just because of the times that we're living in, about what, what's, the, what's the real damage that this administration is causing. And the real damage to me is that it is creating a warlike atmosphere where different, and we've talked about this before, but where different, your tribal allegiance becomes more important than your communal allegiance, right? That all that matters is, are you gonna stick with your tribe? And if it's your tribe is women, then you're all in with the women. If your tribe is men, you're all in with the men. If it's Republicans, if it's Democrats, and he exacerbates and deepens those divides. And plays to him, Every single day. Every right. day that he's president. Every day that he ran for president. He thrives on the divide. And I read a quotation from him that said, I like wedges. I'm, I'm better. I'm good at wedges. Yep. Uh, and that's what worries me the most, I think. And what's going to have the most kind of long-term uh, impact. Yeah. And, and yet, I mean, arguably, these things have been part of our politics for a long time. And they used to be done in dog whistles and subtlety. And he just doesn't have that ability to be subtle. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of these, you know, that a lot of these candidates have played, you know, and people say that the GOP has kind of been playing this undercurrent for, for 20 for 20 years or 30 Long years yeah. or, or and, and and, you know, that it's been how they appeal to their base. And just that, just that Trump has has no, you know, ability to. I mean, the only good thing is that he says what's on his mind. Yeah, and I'm, I'm and actually it's, not against it's that. It's out there. He yeah. thinks that Haiti is a shithole. Like that is that is clear, and it's and it's at least partially because of race. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, I mean, I think it's not, race, and it's just his contempt for anyone who's not like him, right? Yeah. Although, I mean, at the same time, Haiti is not a great place, right? Like. It's not. Um, uh, I, I don't know that I can, I don't think that you can just say that. I think you could say America's not a great place, right? By the same, you could, you know, well, any here, country, any country, it can be a great place. Would you spend a week in Haiti? Sure. I have done, in fact. You have? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not getting into the details. We got it. How was it? Was it a good week? <laughs> no, it was terrible. Okay. <laughs> But it was a long time ago. Okay. Um, no, no, no. Obviously, Haiti has a Would lot of... Would you go of, back? Haiti has a lot of problems. <laughs> but, 
But are Haitians shitty people? No. Correct. No. Um, and that's the problem, right? When you conflate the problems of a country with the character of its people, then you're in trouble. It's the same thing. Like, I feel well, that's so ashamed. I feel so ashamed that Europeans and people from other countries might look at me as an American and conflate me with what my country is doing right now. Yeah. It's appalling to me. I remember we used to, we had that right in the ni- early in the early nineties when we would travel to Europe, and I think it was maybe the first George was, it it was Reagan, yeah. and every and you no, know, it everyone was sort of felt Bush. it was the first uh, felt Iraq kind of war. kind of ashamed of being an American. So yeah, we're back good. to that, I guess, for for some people. But I'm not. I'm I'm uh, I'm still I think proud of being an American. Um, but uh, anyway, well, this was this was pretty deep. This was a good conversation. I hope I didn't come out of it. Uh, sounding like I, uh, yeah, I'm just looking. Did I come out? Sounding like a racist? I hope not. I think if you can work in Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, like two or three times, you came out looking golden. <laughs> Letting my dork flag fly. Yes. Uh, thank Be you fun. all for uh, listening, supporting, um, and we look forward to hearing your feedback. We'll Please see you give next us, time. Give us some feedback. Take care.